Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. E-S-N-Y. What's up, Nets fans? You're listening to Clean Sweep, Elite Sports New York's Brooklyn Nets podcast. Thanks again for joining me. Uh, I think, first of all, got to start with some housekeeping. The podcast that's undergone a million changes and hiatuses so far. Uh, I think Clean Sweep for us, is, consistency has not been our, uh, our strongest suit. Um, but a little news, I'm going to be taking the podcast solo going forward. Nolan Jensen my co-host for a while who amazing uh you know there's no hard feelings at all between us nolan's got a lot of stuff going on uh part of the problem you know and it's not even really a problem but part of the issue between he and i was just it was tough we both have such busy schedules we're both on like different timelines of things even you know he's on the west coast i'm on the east coast it's just tough for us to kind of get on the same page uh and really put out enough content to make it work so Nolan's got some stuff going on. He's writing at Nets Daily. He's actually picking up uh, some Edmonton Oilers coverage too. So Nolan is a fantastic writer. He was great, great as a co-host. Um, and he actually he stepped in for Matt Brooks, who was the original host with me. Um, he and I, this was, you know, Clean Sweep was our idea. Kind of when Kyrie and KD signed together we kind of had this idea to start the podcast but matt kind of got into the streaming thing he's doing his thing now he's doing great so you know nolan and matt both fall into like the same category of me or with me that you know we have we had good runs on the show together we are all three of us are all still very good friends to this day we still talk all the time Uh, i'm sure for a fact i know i'll have both of those guys on at some point as guests uh, but for the time being, I'm going to take this solo. Like I said, Matt and I started this podcast, and this is the first podcast I started basically from the ground up. So to a certain extent, it's uh, kind of my baby in that way, and I kind of I don't want to see it die. So we'll see how this goes. Because um, as I'm sure some of you guys know, I host Nick's State of Mind, uh, which is another podcast for ESNY. Um, but I came into that one kind of halfway through. Now, you know, I'm seamlessly in the mix over there. You know, it's my pod just as much as it's Chip and Matt's. Um, but, you know, this clean sweep, I started it from the ground up. Uh, those guys honestly built up Nick's state of mind to, you know, a, a very solid uh, listenership before I even got there. I kind of want to do the same thing with clean sweep and get that to uh, kind of the same level if I can. Um, and I guess now I'll kind of explain the way I'm going to do that. Uh, it's tough to have a solo show that goes, you know, hour long, 45 minute episodes. That's, I don't think any, any of you guys want to listen to me drone on for, you know, hours on end. So I think I'm going to start incorporating the podcast into some writing stuff. 
Uh, I think I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll have articles that kind of coincide with the 15 to 20 minutes, these little, you know, digestible episodes that we're going to get into. I'll have some film in there, uh, you know, some, some writing, things like that. So it's going to be kind of like a multimedia kind of different, not, not exactly your normal podcast experience. And a lot of times people don't want to, don't want to have to, you know, read an entire article to go along with the podcast. Um, so I'll have like links and Twitter videos, um, you know, threaded for each podcast episode going up. Uh, so I'm going to have a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, uh, follow me uh, at DWSmall8 on Twitter because I think the plan there is going to just to be kind of, like I said, thread some links to articles and videos and stats and things like that uh, that kind of go along with these episodes that I'm going to be doing. And I'm going to start with a guy who is Clean Sweep's favorite, favorite player. Uh, I can, I think I speak for Nolan for sure. And definitely, I think Matt too. Uh, I know he was on that train with me early on Joe Harris, even before, uh, before the 2018, 2019 season, I was saying Joe Harris is going to be an elite shooter. So kind of what I'm going to do with this episode is do, you know, a little 15, 20 minute uh, deep dive into Joe Harris. We're going to get into whether or not the Nets should re-sign him in the offseason, what we can expect from him going into the bubble, uh, kind of some of the issues that I, that I see arising there. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, basically just going to do a dive into Harris and kind of get you primed and ready for him heading into the bubble. Because I think, uh, you know, kind of with the time we have, I think I'm going to be able to get to Harris with a deep dive kind of episode here, then try and get into Karis Levert, because he's obviously, you know, now with Dinwiddie and, you know, all these guys out, Levert is the main guy. So wanted to start out with Harris, just because he's a guy I've done so much work on in the past and so much research on, I've watched so much film on him. Uh, so he's a guy, you know, I feel like I can kind of get the ball rolling with this new kind of uh, episode. Um, but then I'll, I'll transition to Levert and, you know, anyone who has followed me on Twitter for the last few years, you know, I'm a Michael Beasley, you know, aficionado. Uh, I loved him when he was with the Knicks. Uh, you know, I've loved him since he was at K-State. Even uh, if you go all the way back to gunning for the number one spot, a great documentary about uh, a bunch of high school players uh, in his era, Kevin Love, uh, I Jared Bayless, there's a bunch of guys, but I'm, I'm blanking on. But essentially, I'm a big Beasley guy, so might do, might try and sneak in one of those, you know, 15 minute episodes on him with some stuff. But uh, we'll see, we'll see where this goes. Essentially, I want to kind of retool this and see, uh, see how I can kind of make this a, a decent solo podcast that will bring value to Nets fans because I don't want to, you know, put out, just keep putting out these 30 minute, 45 minute episodes that, you know, are just kind of same old, same old of what everyone else is putting out. Kind of want to try something different here. So bear with me, come along for the ride and uh, we'll see where this thing goes. Appreciate you guys for listening. E-S-N-Y. Okay. So now that we're kind of past all the housekeeping stuff, uh, got all that out of the way, let's actually dive into some Joe Harris stuff because I think he's a pretty important player for the Nets going forward. Obviously, he's not a superstar. He's no Kyrie. He's no KD. Yeah, he's not like anything like that, of course. I, I think we all know that. But the type of player that he is can fit in very, very well 
with two stars like that. And I think all the tea leaves are kind of pointing to the Nets looking for that third star, maybe a Bradley Beal. And I know we've talked about that on Clean Sweep. That's a, a very, uh, uh, I guess, familiar topic for Nets Twitter uh, is the Bradley Beal stuff. But just, I guess we can kind of leave it as a gen- that generic third star. I think we can all safely say that Kyrie and KD, uh, if it's up to them, that's probably the direction that they want to go. And if that's the case, I think bringing Harris back on a, you know, I mean, he, he's going to, he's, it's going to cost some money to sign him because, you know, he's one of the best three point shooters in the league. He's like that perfect kind of compliment because he doesn't need the ball in his hands a ton. His best skill is just catch and shoot threes. And when you have KD, Kyrie, those two guys, just those two guys, not even counting that, that third star in the mix yet. When you have just those two guys, it's pretty, pretty uh, valuable to have a guy like like Joe Harris who can just stand out on the wing, knock down open threes. Uh, we'll get into the Sixers series a little bit because uh, that Sixers playoff series last year was a little concerning. Uh, but I still think overall we've seen enough from Harris as a catch-and-shoot guy uh, to know that he can be a pretty effective uh option uh, to open up some space for those guys to operate inside, give them an outlet. Uh, One of the things I'd like to see Harris shoot more in the corner, uh, more of like a corner three guy, that might be a little bit uh, one way to add add to his game a little bit. But again, you know, in Kenny's system, uh, and I mean, who knows what we're going to see from Jacques Vaughn, but in the system, most of the threes he was getting was above the break, and he's, I mean, he's phenomenal those so it's uh, it might sound like i'm criticizing him but uh not not necessarily it's just corner threes are an incredibly valuable skill to have i mean you look at pj tucker has become one of the better role players in the league simply by you know i mean of course on one one hand he's a great defender who now is a center kind of but um his corner three is really uh the thing that opened up his offensive game and gave the Houston Rockets so much of like a new added element kind of thing. So if there's, if I'm nitpicking on Harris, that's maybe one thing, but I think bottom line, the Nets really, really need to think about bringing him back and try and bring him back because I mean, you don't get three point shooters like that just off the street. I mean, the Nets got pretty, I mean, (laughs) actually I should rephrase that because the Nets did basically just pick up Joe Harris for nothing once upon a time, and then developed him into one of the best three-point shooters in the league. I mean, clearly he always had that in him, but the Nets helped bring that out of him. And I think it would be a shame to see them lose him in free agency right before this championship window really opens up. And of course, uh, you have to acknowledge, you know, if he catches a godfather offer, you know, from from another team that just offers him so much money, that would be hard for him to pass up. And I think you know, at a certain point, the Nets aren't going to be willing to give him, you know, a ton of money and a ton of years or, you know, whatever it is. I'm, I'm, I'm not even trying to get too deep into the contract situation, but barring like a ridiculous offer from one team, I think the next, the Nets have to prioritize bringing back Harris just because he can open up so much for KD and Kyrie. And really, you know, when you think about it, he's not a superb defender. But he's not a liability on that end of the floor. He really he does enough all around to warrant minutes. I mean, considering that he's you know the, one of the best three point shooters in basketball. So kind of moving on from that point because I think it's important to kind of just 
lay the groundwork there that we're going to get a little negative in expectations for Joe Harris in the Orlando bubble. But at the same time, all of this is said with the idea of knowing that this is going to be a, a, a wild situation. And then the bottom line is simply Joe Harris should be on, on their top of their to-do list. I think that I just want to make that clear. And I think probably most people would agree with me. I wonder, uh, Sean Marks, the GM, I don't know where he stands on this right now, but I would think that bringing back an elite three-point shooter would, would be at the top of his list. But let's, yeah, let's, let's get into some of the expectations for the bubble um, going in there because it's, it's a weird, weird situation. The Nets are way, way shorthanded, and Harris's playoff experience last year was pretty abysmal. Definitely not his best uh, showing. Uh, it was really, I don't want to say tough to watch because you know, it, it is what it is. He just didn't have a great series against the Sixers in the playoffs last year. But I don't want to. I want to. I don't want to hammer him too hard for kind of. I don't, I, I, let me. I'll just. I'll just get into it because I. I'll let you guys decide if I'm hammering him or being fair. I don't know. Um, I mean, he he was he was bad in that series. There's there's no two ways about it. He didn't play well at all. He started out like a house of fire. I'll link a video of uh, his his first quarter. He hit three of four threes. Uh, he really kind of propelled the Nets out in front in that game. Uh, gave them gave them some momentum early. Then the bench unit came on later and really pushed the Nets forward. Uh, but but Harris in that first half was a big part of why the Nets were able to get a lead and then actually win game one and kind of look like they had some life. Uh, but one of the issues here, and we'll get into this a little bit more later, but once once Harris was playing well there, knocking down some shots, Sixers switched Jimmy Butler onto him, an elite defender like that, you know, that they're, I mean, it's tough because Philly's one of the best defensive teams um, in that year with, you know, Butler, Simmons, uh, you had, Obviously, Embiid, he wouldn't cover Harris, but they had so many guys they could throw at Harris, and clearly, you know, throwing a guy like Butler onto him definitely, definitely knocked him out of, out of whack a little bit. And that's not a knock on Harris. I mean, Jimmy Butler is a, is a elite defender, you know, superstar player. Uh, it's really tough for him to go against a guy like that. Uh, and then, of course, Brett Brown started top-locking. Uh, I mean, they, they were top-locking in, in game one, um, but not so much on uh, in that first quarter when Harris went off. And essentially what top locking is, if you're watching a guy uh, defend defend Harris, Harris comes off a ton of staggered screens kind of coming up from the corner up to the top of the key for an open look at the top of the key or, you know, either on, on either wing coming off a screen like that. And when you're top locking, you're basically like cutting off that angle for him to come off that screen. And you're almost forcing him to cut to the basket. So that's essentially what top locking is. And I think if you watch game two, three, four, and five, all losses, you'll see, you know, whether it's Jimmy Butler, uh, J.J. Redick was on Harris a lot, Tobias Harris even at, at times. Uh, they were top locking everything. They were making it very hard for him to get over those screens, which kind of, I mean, knocked him out of rhythm to a certain extent. But again, I, it's worth mentioning, uh, and I'll throw some video clips in here and uh, on the article and on Twitter, 
he missed some open looks too. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just the Sixers had, you know, Butler on them and they, they played a great scheme against it. It wasn't just that Harris did miss some threes, but in a five game stretch, even the best shooters get cold at times. So I don't want to, you know, you can read into that, uh, 19% three point percentage that he had in that series. Uh, I mean, he was, uh, he was four of 21, three of those makes coming in the first quarter. So you can read into that however you like, but, Simple fact of the matter is Harris didn't really uh, meet expectations in his first series. It is what it is. I still don't think that's something that would, you know, deter me if I was GM of the Nets. You know, it wouldn't deter me from from signing Harris. But it's just something to keep in mind. And another issue kind of in the bubble where I think, you know, it's probably a safe idea to temper expectations for Harris and, you know, the Nets as a whole going into this is because he's going to be the number two option a lot of times. I mean, obviously, we know Karis Lever is going to be number one, you know, ball primary ball, primary ball handler most likely, playing a lot of point guard. Uh, if Chios is in there, he'll be the two guard. But, I mean, he's going to have high, high usage. There's really, you know, once Beasley finishes his five-game suspension, and who knows what you're getting out of 40-year-old Jamal Crawford, but there's really not a ton of shot creators there. And... While Harris can be good as like a secondary creator, kind of, you know, if he comes off one of those staggered screens, he's he's got his defender trailing on his back. He's he's decent at going going at the rim, you know, when he has those advantages, kind of uh, attacking guys closing out too aggressively on him. He can he can do a little bit on those. Uh, I'll link to some videos and uh, some stats and whatnot from actually a game earlier in November of this season where he finished with 22 points and eight assists against the Bulls. I mean, they beat the Bulls in that game with Dinwiddie as the number one option and Harris as the number two, which, I mean, the Bulls are the Bulls. We know they're not a great team, and they were not playing that well in November when the Nets got them. So, I mean, if if you're taking that as, like, a reason to be super optimistic, uh, that's, that's tough, but... Um, but if there's if you want to find an example of Harris succeeding as that kind of that number two option as that secondary creator, that's one example I can find. I mean, the Nets have been so banged up this year and even last year. I mean, Dinwiddie was down for a little bit. Lavert was down for a long time. D'Angelo Russell and Joe Harris were really, you know, two main constants for them. So he's kind of been in that role before. Again. The competition increasing, uh, getting tougher. You know, if they play Toronto or, I mean, God, well, I don't want to say God forbid because either team is going to be tough for them. But Toronto and the Bucks are going to be tough, tough matchups for them. So, you know, just imagine all the guys that they can throw at him from Toronto. I mean, you know, they're talking about possibly playing Joe Harris at stretch four in the playoffs just because they're so banged up inside and they have, you know, so many guys opting out. I mean, imagine Pascal Siakam covering Joe Harris. That's a tough matchup. <laughs> no offense to Joe Harris, but Siakam is a bona fide all-star, good defender, long, athletic. That's going to be a tough matchup. Um, so there is a little bit of hope there, I guess you could say, for Joe Harris kind of having a uh, you know some some success as the number two option. But again, this, I think this bubble is just going to be so so wild. I mean, Jock Vaughn. What do we even know what his rotations are going to look like? 
obviously Beasley and Jamal Crawford are going to get a look because I think they want to see how those guys play and see if they can be options going forward because if you're going to be going after this third star, you're going to need some, you know, veterans chasing a ring, pl- uh, playing on, you know, very, uh, very reasonable contracts. You're, and then especially, you know, you, you have DeAndre Jordan has a decent sized contract. Joe Harris is going to be getting signed. You know, if he do, or if he does resign, he's going to be getting a decent chunk of change. So you're going to need guys like Beasley and Crawford who can kind of uh, come come in with. You know, they they don't have to pay him a ton. It's you know a veteran looking for just you know an opportunity and a chance to run at a ring. I mean, those are the guys you're going to have to see in these uh, these bubble games. Am I too conf- Am I confident that these games are going to be a great way to look at? those guys and really evaluate I don't think so I mean it's tough to it's tough to really get a good evaluation of you know Jamal Crawford or Michael Beasley when Karis LeVert is off the floor or you know even if LeVert is on the floor and Harris is your two like it it's just it's a weird weird situation Um, I think for Nets fans the hope is that they show a little bit of life, you know, they show a little bit of, um, show a little bit of fight kind of, I don't know. Um, I mean, honestly, the expectations for Harris, I, I think really, really you got to temper him just because of the situation the entire team is going in. Harris is going to be a great player. That's wrong choice of words. Harris is a great role player right now. I mean, he's one of the best three-point shooters in the league. I think he's definitely a championship piece, but I don't think we can really buy into too much of what we see from him out of the bubble. I mean, obviously, if he comes out, he averages 20 points a game, you know, shoots over 40%, he's great. Like, obviously, that's something we can look at and say, wow, you know, this is pretty pretty remarkable you know maybe he parlays that into you know a bigger contract who knows but i think if he has a bad he has a bad stint in orlando uh and the nets as a whole have a bad stint in orlando i don't think this is something we should really really uh, it's not it's not something that should concern you in the long run because as we all know this team is going to go as far as katie and Kyrie take them they're obviously going to need good role players around them, uh, you know, Harris being one of them potentially. But this team is honestly just – it's it's Katie and Kyrie's team, and I think we all know that. And essentially just the bottom line here is Harris is going to – should Harris should be one of the main guys on this team going forward. Not a superstar by any rights, but – he is a guy that Brooklyn developed basically from, you know, people thought he was going to be out of the league based on, you know, what he did in Cleveland. And then he gets traded to Orlando and waived and all that. People didn't think he had a future in the league and he built a pretty, pretty damn good future in Brooklyn. And as it turns out, some of the guys who did that with him along the way, I think you, you look at D'Angelo Russell, uh, you look at he's D'Angelo Russell's already gone, but you look at Spencer Dinwiddie, you look at Karis LeVert, you look at Jared Allen. I know those guys all came from kind of different situations and whatnot, um, but I don't think any of those guys are really safe in the long term now. I mean, even Joe Harris to a certain extent isn't safe because his price tag matters. But 
I think out of all of those guys, Harris seems to be the one who would fit se- most most seamlessly into the Brooklyn Nets future plans. I mean, Levert, Dinwiddie, Allen could all become trade bait by the end of uh by by when all is said and done, those three guys are probably the best trade bait for them if they're going for that big star, that third guy to, you know, be the the third wheel of the uh the tripod with KD and Kyrie. So kind of wrapping all this up, I'll just go with first things first, don't let a bad performance in the bubble or, you know, another bad series in the playoffs, don't let that distract from the idea that Harris should be a part of this championship window coming forward. And two, yeah, I, I don't even know if there's a two or it's all kind of in one point, but I, I just, I don't know if it's going to look pretty. It's, this this team is just so depleted and so so knocked out of shape just by all the you know the coronavirus backouts which you know I I am fine with I think guys it's a personal choice they could do whatever they want um, I don't think they should be criticized for it but the coronavirus backouts the surgery you know the guys coming back from surgery then you had Claxton who just had surgery then you have Katie and Kyrie who are basically just saying like why risk it now. I think it's going to be it's going to be ugly at times in uh in Orlando for the Nets and I hope it's fun. I hope we have some fun stuff to talk about, write about, watch, you know, all that good stuff. But it is what it is. This is where the Nets are at. Harris needs to be a part of the future no matter what happens in Orlando. Thanks again for listening to Clean Sweep. You can check out the article that goes along with this podcast on EliteSportsNY.com and you can follow me on Twitter at DWSmall8. Catch you guys next week.